Tracy getting ready to start? I think that uh, the text itself will hold your attention. So we're in John chapter 12. We saw last week that an all-points bulletin has been put out for the arrest of Jesus. And uh, with Passover <coughs> approaching very quickly, uh, the odds are uh, the odds are in favor of him not attending the Passover in Jerusalem, lest he be arrested. Uh, but to the surprise of everyone, look what happens in chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, who Lazarus, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, to be raised from the dead. So now what we have is Bethany is only a mile or two outside of Jerusalem. So Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem. Uh, notice it says six days before the Passover. Uh, Jesus dies on Passover. So Jesus only has a week to live. Now what would you do if you were told you only had one week to live? Would you go to work tomorrow? Would you spend those six or seven days watching television? Would you try to get your affairs in order for the people that you uh, were leaving behind? Well, what Jesus does is he decides that he wants to hang around with friends. <clears throat> and he starts eating meals with his friends during this week. Uh, I heard the story, maybe you heard the story too, of a man who went for his annual checkup. And the doctor said, uh, came back, and the doctor called him and said, you need to come back. I need to talk to you. And the, guy, the doctor said, you only have six months to live. And the man had to make some decisions real quick. And he said, doctor, what can I do? And the doctor said, well, if I were you, if I were in your boat, I'd buy a pig farm. And after I bought the pig farm, I'd marry a woman who had 12 kids. And the guy said, well, doctor, will that help me to live longer? And the doctor said, no, but it'll be the longest six months you've ever had. <laughs> so. Now, you have to decide, when you've learned that you're going to die, and one day we're all going to learn that, unless we die instantly from an accident or something, you're going to have to decide how you're going to spend those last few months of your life. And whether you want to prolong it, if you do, this is how you prolong it, but it would be a miserable six months, wouldn't it? Or you can spend time with your friends, and that's what Jesus decides to do. So let's look at day number one, what he does. In fact, it's actually the night number one of the last week of his life. Verse 2 says, There they made him, meaning in Bethany, where the Lazarus family was, they made him a supper. Now we know from the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that this supper is actually held in the home of Simon the leper. Okay? That's where the, meeting, the meal is being held, the home of Simon the leper. Simon the leper is the host of the meal. Jesus is the guest of honor of the meal. And this is not just a normal evening meal like you had last night. This is a formal banquet, which includes a meal and then after dinner activities. And so they're holding, having a special occasion for Jesus. And then look what else it says in verse 2. 
It says, and, Mary, and Martha served. Now, every time we see Martha in the Bible, she's always serving. <clears throat> so what we have is we have two families that have joined together. The family of Simon the leper and the family of Lazarus that includes Martha and Mary. And evidently, they're having a meal in honor of Jesus to show their gratitude that Jesus healed Simon from his leprosy and that he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they want to do something that's very nice for Jesus. Now remember, they don't know he's going to die within six days. We know that. We know, because we're reading this long after the fact of his death and his resurrection. But when this is happening, they don't know he's going to die. They just figure he's going to live and maybe set up the kingdom of God on earth. So notice what it says right at the end of verse 2. But Lazarus, notice that, but Lazarus. So notice the contrast. There they made him a supper. Martha served. But Lazarus, what does he do? He was one of those, meaning there were many, who sat at the table with him, Jesus. Now, your Bible says sat, but the Greek word is reclined. And this is how they had formal banquets. They reclined on their left elbow. They did not sit in chairs. They had couches. Couches were formed in a horseshoe shape. And it would, about 12 people could recline on a couch. And the couch was about three or four feet above the ground. And each person would recline on his left elbow. Lazarus probably is reclining on the breast of Jesus at this point. Uh, and then in front of those couches, there'd be little tables, and there'd be food, and you just pick the food up and you would eat that way. So this is a reclining banquet. Now, notice Mary, the other sister, also makes the contribution. Look what she does in verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, there's two things that Mary does, and we're going to look at each one of these separately. First of all, she anoints Jesus' feet okay, with this oil or this perfume. Now, what, what do we know about this perfume? First of all, notice it says she took a pound of perfume. You see that? A pound of oil. So we know about the quantity of the oil. Uh, this is probably a Roman pound, uh, which would be not a Jewish pound, uh, probably about 12 ounces of perfume. That's the quality, quantity of the perfume. Now look at the quality of the perfume in verse 3. It says, a pound of what? Very costly oil. Uh, now, how costly is it? How expensive is this perfume? Well, if you look down at verse 5, it says this says the fragrant oil could be sold for, look, 300 denarii. That was how, this is the quality of the perfume. Costly. Sells for about 300 denarii, which is about a year's wages. Well, I don't know what the typical salary is in America. It could be 20,000, 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, 60,000. But in that range. Not the kind of perfume you buy at J.C. Penney. But maybe the kind that you would see in a Neiman Marcus Christmas catalog. 
$40,000 for one bottle of perfume. And I would probably guess that there's no one in this class that has a $40,000 bottle of perfume. Now why is this perfume so expensive? It's because of what it's made of and how it's made. Look in verse 3. It's called spikenard. Do you see that? That's the kind of perfume it is. <clears throat> now nard was a oil that was produced by crushing the roots and the stems of herbs that were found in the Himalaya mountains in North India. Very rare. <laughs> so this is how you made nard. You had to import the oil that was crushed from the roots and stems from North India in the Himalayan mountains. And then it was sealed in a flask. Uh, some wax was put around it and sealed in a flask, flask which was called an alabaster box. <clears throat> and this nard, this kind of oil or perfume was, was associated with royalty. So it was used so rarely, the only time they would use it is that when they would anoint a new king when he was crowned. And they would anoint him with nard. Or it may be given as a gift to, at a royal wedding. Maybe a princess was getting married to a young prince. And this would be a gift, an extravagant gift, for this young royal couple. Or it was used when they buried kings. And they anointed his, oil, his body with this, with this perfume that, you know, wafts throughout the entire tomb so that the stench of that body was not smelled. So what we have here is we have this royal uh, perfume. And uh, usually it wasn't open for years. Sometimes it wasn't open for generations. Uh, it was often passed down from generation to generation as an heirloom. And then somebody along the way would open it up for a very, very special occasion. And that's what you have here. Now notice, it's not only nard, it's called spike nard. Now the word spike is an adjective. It describes the kind of nard. Which, uh, and the word spike here means pure or genuine. It's the real McCoy. Now you know you can get fake perfume. Usually sold out of the back of a trunk of a car. You know? uh, there was a time when students at Criswell College would come with boxes of fake uh, aftershave and cologne and perfumes, things like that, sell for $5 a bottle, and they said, no, this normally sells for you know, 60 70 $80 a bottle. But that was fake. Uh, so this is pure Spike Nard. This is the real McCoy. So Mary sees this. So it tells us something about this family, this Lazarus family. Uh, they're well-to-do. And uh, Lazarus may be part of a priestly family, in fact. We're not sure about that. Uh, so she's going to take an opportunity to break the seal and pour out the contents upon Jesus. So it's an extravagant act. Okay, that's the important thing. And she throws all caution to the wind and she pours all of it out on Jesus. $40,000 worth. <clears throat> now I'm convinced that we should all do something extravagant for Jesus at least once in our life. Something that's far beyond the ordinary. Now, I know most people in the world don't tithe, but many church people, especially Baptist church people, tithe. And people in the world would think that's extravagant, wouldn't they? 
You give what? 10%? That's crazy. Why would you give 10% of your money away? And, uh, but uh, we're talking about something that's far more extravagant than that. Things that seemed outrageous from human stand, human standpoint. And where you uh, abandon everything and you're motivated by love and you want to do something extravagant or extraordinary for Jesus who gave you eternal life. Martha wants to do something extravagant for Jesus because he gave her brother life. He raised her brother from the dead. So this is a this is a meal that's honoring Jesus. Now, so she anoints she anoints his feet. Now the second thing she does is she rubs his feet with her hair. Uh, that means she lets her hair down. Notice in verse 3 it says, and she wiped his feet with her hair. Now, proper women never let their hair down. Uh, they, Jewish women kept their hair up. <clears throat> the only kind of women that ever let their hair fall over their shoulders were prostitutes. When your hair fell over your shoulders, that meant that you were a fallen woman. Uh, <clears throat> But Mary wants to, to use her hair, part of herself, to, to either wipe off the oil now or to wipe it in. And uh, she throws caution to the wind. She doesn't care whether it seems to be immodest. And she uses her hair to uh, wipe his feet. Now, <clears throat> there's this misconception. When we think of Mary anointing Jesus' feet, we think of her down on her knees washing Jesus' feet. And that would be true if Jesus were sitting in a chair. But what is he doing? He's reclining three or four feet off the floor. He's laying like this. And so what Mary is, she's just standing behind Jesus. She comes up behind him. There's his feet, lying parallel. And she pours the oil over his feet. And then she just reaches over, lets her hair down, and she wipes his feet. And that's the scene. See, so make sure that when you, you're reading the scripture, you understand that that is the scene that's going on. Now, what's the result? Look at, look at the result at the end of verse 3. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. <clears throat> now, we had a fragrance in the previous chapter. Remember what it was? Jesus says to Mary and Martha, take me to where they buried him. And Martha says, he stinks. He's been dead four days. So notice that you have a smell in chapter 11. And here you have a fragrance in chapter 12, and this is one that wafts through the house and is pleasant to the senses versus the, the death, the body decaying of, uh, of Lazarus. Now look at the reaction of Jesus here. Verse 4, or Judas actually. This is Judas. And I like this. Look what it says. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. Now notice, no matter how pure your motives are, <laughs> you'll always have a critic. <laughs> uh, you know, they will, they will complain, they will criticize what you're doing. And what's interesting to me is how Judas is described. First of all, in verse 4, he's described as what? Simon's son. Where did I say this meal was being held? The home of Simon what? The leper. It's very possible that Judas is the son of this Simon the leper. And you would have thought 
that he would have been just as much appreciative of Jesus healing his dad as Mary was of Jesus raising her brother and he wouldn't open his mouth one bit but should have said, what can I do? But instead, notice he complains. Notice also what he, how he's described in verse 4. He's described as a disciple of Jesus. You would think he'd be happy for Jesus, his master, wouldn't you? But he's not. Why not? Because how else is he described? As a betrayer, the one who would betray him. See? And then he has this question. He says, why wasn't this sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So on the surface, when you just read it on the surface, it seems like uh, Judas' complaint is legitimate. It could be. You can sell that for $40,000 and feed a lot of poor people. Should you just be pouring this out? But you know, when you really look at it more carefully, you discover that, that Judas really isn't concerned about the poor at all. And the Gospel writer John tells us this in verse 6. This is sort of the Gospel writer John's aside. He says, This he said, notice what, how the Gospel writer describes what went on. This he said, not that he cared for the poor. And uh, the word cared there in the, is a, uh, a perfect tense, which means not that he ever cared. He never cared for the poor. This wasn't really his concern at all. But, Here's really what he was concerned about. But because he was a kleptase, he was a thief, and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. He was a, he embezzled, he was the treasurer, the treasurer for the twelve, and he had the money box, and he would steal. So he was, he would rather for that to be sold for 40000 put the money in the treasury, and then he could have just pilfered at will. Uh, <clears throat> it's interesting to me that uh, Mary is very generous, and what she does, she does openly. Judas is very greedy, and what he does, he does secretly. Stealthily steals the money out of the money box. Now we have Jesus' intervention, <clears throat> because Judas complains what Mary is doing. So look what Jesus says in verse 7. But Jesus said, let her alone. Look at that. Stop doing that. Hey, Judas, leave her alone. You know? he, he defends what she's doing. And he says this in verse 7. She has kept this. She's been given this oil. She's kept this oil for the day of my burial. <clears throat> now, when she's anointing Jesus' feet, she's doing it out of appreciation in her mind. But guess what? Jesus relates it to what? His burial. God's king is going to be buried. And she, by doing this, unbeknownst to herself, in a sense, is anointing Jesus' body with this royal oil. And uh, now most people, when they are, most kings were anointed after they died. Uh, Jesus is being anointed before he dies in the sense that this is anticipation for his death. <clears throat> but what she's doing really is she's doing it, uh, anointing him before his death. <clears throat> now, just as I was reading through this this week, I was thinking, uh, 
you know, in a week, a week from now, Mary's not going to have Jesus anymore. He's going to be dead. So Mary is uh, wants to do something for Jesus before it's too late. And we need to be doing that with our family and friends. You know, once it's too late, guess what? It's too late and you'll regret it. You should be giving flowers to your wife while she's alive, not at the funeral, right? So we need to be doing things before it's too late, and we should do things that are very extravagant for those that we love. Now look what Jesus, that's, that's right, all the women put me up to that, so now, um, now Jesus continues, look at verse 8. He says, let her alone, she's kept this for this day for my burial, for the poor you will have with you. Now he's responding directly to Judas. The poor you will have with you always, but me you do not have always. In other words, the opportunity to help the poor is ever present on a daily basis, and we should help them every day uh, as possible. But the opportunity to express our love uh, and gratitude to Jesus in some extraordinary way only comes maybe once in a lifetime. Right? You can't even do things extraordinary, especially monetarily, until you are in a position where you can't do it. So, the poor people, we can help them every day. But the opportunity to do something extraordinary for Jesus out of love is rare and comes only maybe once in a lifetime. And when such an opportunity comes, we need to seize it or we'll miss out on it. And then we'll regret it. Of all sad words of tongue pen, the saddest of these could have, might have been. You know, I should have done it. I missed the opportunity. Now we have John's commentary. Again, this is the gospel writer John. And he sort of interjects some thoughts. The police says in verse 9. Now a great many of the Jews who knew that he, that's Jesus, was there, meaning in Bethany, they knew that and they came. Not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus whom he raised from the dead. Word spreads, hey, we hear that Jesus is coming. We think he's over in Bethany. And some of the pilgrims who are just flocking into Jerusalem now stop by Bethany and they want to get a glance of Jesus. And they also want to get a glance of the sky that Jesus raised from the dead. Now, some of these people are curious, I'm sure. Some of them are very sincere. But not only does the does the word reach the pilgrims who are coming for the Passover, the word also reaches the Sanhedrin. So look at verse 10. But the chief priest, see, once he hears it, the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. So the word reaches back to the uh, Sanhedrin, the Sadducees and the chief priests and the scribes. They probably hold another meeting. And they come to the conclusion, not only should we get rid of Jesus, but we need to get rid of Lazarus too. <clears throat> now, uh, I don't know if Lazarus ever got that word. <laughs> but that, would, <clears throat> that wouldn't be a good word to get. Not when you've just been raised from the dead. And now they have a hit out on you. <clears throat> now why do they want to get rid of Lazarus? Look at this. Look at verse 11. Because on account of him... Many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. It's, it's an ironic thing here. 
and they want to get rid of Lazarus who was raised from the dead. Uh, the, the Sadducees didn't even believe in a resurrection. And now they have before them a man who's been raised from the dead. <laughs> what are you going to do with this guy who was raised from the dead when you don't believe in the resurrection? Say, man, we have to get rid of Exhibit A. You know? uh, so they want to get rid of him. And the reason they want to get rid of him, is, it says, because on account of him, verse 11, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Notice, went away. Many of the Jews went away. That means they went away from the, the control of the, sad, the Sanhedrin. In other words, the Sanhedrin was losing its grips on the people. They were going away from them. And also it says, uh, and they believed in Jesus. But that means the Jesus movement was growing because of this great miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And now the Sanhedrin decides, hey, we need to nip this in the Bible. And we need to do it fast. So that's the anointing of Jesus by Mary. Now, I want to just close with a thought. Okay? I want you to uh, read verse 11 again. <clears throat> And uh, so here's what it says. Because on the account of him, many Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Now I want to ask you this. Can this be said of you? I want you to put your name there. Okay? So let me, let me put my name there. Because on account of Allen Street, many went away from their old religion and believed in Jesus. Because of Drake Patterson, and you believed in Jesus. Put your name there. I just want you to read it in your mind. And put your, your name there. Because on account of, put your name there, many believed in Jesus. See, <laughs> that's the important thing, is that we are influencing others for Jesus. And when you do that, just like Lazarus, guess what? The religious establishment is against you. You start having enemies. By the way, notice that the enemies of Christ are the religious leaders. Religion has always been an enemy of Jesus Christ and the Christ movement. Every time. Religious leaders from other world religions, even religious leaders within the church, you start living for Jesus and they say, well, we don't quite do it that way around here. <clears throat> and so... Uh, it's important that we put our name there, and if our name fits in there and it doesn't, it doesn't seem right, we can't claim that truth because of Allen Street, many believed in Jesus, then my challenge for you this morning, my challenge for myself is, what can I do to make this statement, verse 11, true, when my name, rather than Lazarus, is put in there? <clears throat> Next week, we come to the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. And uh, we're going to see Jesus walking in the town. And in verse 13, it says, They took the palm trees and they went to meet him. And they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of, name of Israel, in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you that your word is exciting. It speaks to us at a deep level. We've learned many lessons today that we can apply. Help us to realize, Lord, we need to do something extravagant for you at least once in our life. 
something that cost us, something that's outrageous, it's something that thrills us because we were able to do something that extravagant. Help us to also, Lord, realize that we need to be doing things for our loved ones while they're alive and not waiting until it's too late. Help us to be the kind of people that lead others to believe in Jesus. His name we pray. Amen.